Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Really great episode today with Amy of California Dreamin', which is a new cannabis-infused beverage. Only 10 milligrams, so not going to knock you over. Uh, and it's part of the new trend of beverages in cannabis. Uh, a lot of people don't like smoking. The edibles are a little too strong for them. Uh, so we get into why this is the next wave, why this is going to be a big thing. We talk about her experience in Y Combinator and ultimately why humans have been congregating around beverages for 10,000 years and why there should be no plans of that stopping now. Speaking of starting something new, if you are starting a company, if you have a startup and you need some help, please let us know. Balanced Advisor, balancedadvisor.com is our new company. We're helping people with marketing and video, uh, accounting, operations, uh, as well as capital preparation, deck, performa, pitch materials. Uh, we've had a couple really great clients, really excited about it. Go check those out at balancedadvisor.com. All right, guys, let's get into the episode with Amy of California Dreamin'. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Amy, thank you so much for being here. I've been looking forward to doing the conversation, but welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's start on an easy one. What is California Dreamin'? Sure. Uh, California Dreamin' is a all-natural sparkling soda. Um, so it comes in a variety of fruit flavors, cranberry apple, tangerine, pomegranate, and grapefruit. Um, it's designed to be very low-dose and introductory. So as we developed the product, you know, we wanted it to be something that made people feel very comfortable trying cannabis, often for the first time. What we learned over time is that it is a pretty mainstream product. You know, even heavy users really enjoy um, drinking it. But uh, yeah, the whole point was to make something light and fun and refreshing. And it certainly is that. It's not my first time having it, but I just cracked one maybe 20 minutes ago. So we'll see how it progressed through this interview. <laughs> how you feel by the but end. it's relatively low dose. I mean, 10 milligrams is sort of the recommended base for California, at least. How much went into that thought process? Was it 10? Was it 15? Was it five? How'd you land on the 10? Yeah, it took quite a bit of work to finally decide on 10 milligrams. Uh, that's because higher dose users, it's, uh, it's an exponential scale, right? Low dose users can enjoy two to five milligrams, but higher dose users, it's 50 plus. So it's really hard to nail a single serving. We decided on 10 because the worst case for a low dose user is pretty low. You know, how bad could it possibly be if you have double your dose? It's not that bad. Maybe yeah. you take a long nap. But for higher dose users, 10 milligrams is still enough that maybe after one or two, you'll feel a little something and feel pretty good. Yeah. So it's supposed to make everybody happy. Got it. Yeah, no, I think it, it makes some good sense. I mean, do you find people have half of it and put it back in the fridge or are they drinking the whole thing? That's what I do. Yeah. I have half and put it back in the fridge. Yeah. Um, it depends on the user. You know, you have to find your dose and it takes a lot of time to figure that out and yeah. find exactly what makes you happy. But for me, half a drink, I feel great. I don't need any more than that. Let's talk about sort of the beverage category as a whole. Like, why was it important to do as a, a beverage and sort of like a, a sparkling juice here? Why is that the right path? Yeah. Uh, so I can totally see how people would come up with a product like this 
as a means to exploit a gap in the industry. Uh, for us, it just came about very naturally. We accidentally came up with a drink one night for a camping trip. It, it wasn't on purpose. And people loved it so much that we started developing it and we started taking it seriously and figured, oh, you know, we can start something and start selling this. We didn't intend for this to be a new category and, and something really big and transformational in the industry. Uh, but it's starting, we're starting to see signs that it is becoming a transformational category. And that's very understandable because joints and vaping are associated with smoking and you know lung damage and things like that. And, and there isn't as much evidence on the cannabis side in that regard, but it doesn't matter. People still have health concerns around smoking. The trend is moving away from smoking. And even if you look at the jewel stuff that's going on against vaping, mm -hmm. and it's only a matter of time before that's turned towards the cannabis industry, like this is the same. Exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. Uh, that's not scientific, but just look at it. It's the same, right? Right. Um, I also heard uh, just somebody explain sort of the beverage category interesting recently, and they said, look, humans have congregated around beverages for 10,000 years. Like it's actually not about the alcohol or the cannabis. It, there's something about drinking together mm -hmm. that is very communal. But tell me about that first uh, batch that you made for the <laughs> camping trip. How did you do it? How did you start? What was it like? What did it turn out like? Yeah, it was uh, it was a very low tech <laughs> drink. Um, we just used some really basic tincture and added it to, I think it was just straight grapefruit juice and lime juice. It was really tart. Okay. It was more like a cocktail than anything. Yeah. Um, and even though it was very low tech and simple and nowhere near the formulation we have today, people still loved it because it hit them in half the time of an edible. And it was something you could sip over time and enjoy while you're relaxing. So it, it hit a lot of those points you were just talking about. Beverages are so culturally accepted. It's something we all do all day, every day is drink beverages. When you go to a grocery store, how much of the grocery store is devoted to beverages? Half. A lot, probably yeah. half, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And it's everything from teas to sparkling waters to coffees, anything. Uh, so beverages just hit that sweet spot that people are really, really comfortable with. And it doesn't incorporate smoking. And it, you know, we think that it feels a bit better than an edible and hits you a lot faster. So it, it hit a lot of the really key points that we thought were missing in cannabis products. Mm -hmm. So you have that first batch, all your friends love it. How do you take that and what's the next step from there? It was a lot of hard work. <laughs> um, thankfully, the home brew industry opened a lot of doors in the beverage category. So we bought a bunch of home brew equipment. And at first we were just, you know, using a kitchen and whipping stuff up in the kitchen, handing it out to friends and family, getting as much feedback as we possibly could. And, and it took us about three, four months before we landed on something we really, really loved and thought was commercially viable. Mm -hmm. And then you think to yourself, we should apply to Y Combinator? <laughs> you know, to be honest, we did that on a whim. We really thought that we were starting something that, you know, we had inklings that it could be something bigger, but we thought, you know, we're going to run a business. And cannabis, it's a fun, exciting industry. We were thrilled by the industry as a whole. We didn't necessarily think that this could be something huge. And when we applied to Y Combinator, it started opening our eyes when we put it on paper. Wait a second, you know, alcohol worldwide is a trillion dollar industry. Why couldn't cannabis beverages be just as big as alcoholic beverages? Mm -hmm. And that started opening our eyes. And that's when we picked our heads up and said, we need to take this seriously and make this something much, much bigger than we ever imagined. Yeah. And 
Tell me about your Y Combinator experience briefly. I think that recent sort of feedback is that the classes have gotten really big, sort of a little less hands-on approach than it once was, but tell me what your experience was like. Well, thankfully they've divided Y Combinator into groups now. Yeah. So when you get into a batch, you're assigned to a group, and that group has dedicated partners. So. I can imagine that maybe they did, you know, get a bit too big for the number of partners for a while, but um, we didn't experience that. We were very, had very hands-on experiences with our partners at all times. We use WhatsApp to constantly communicate. So we didn't experience any of that cool. necessarily. Um, I would say we, it was a very intensive experience. And a lot of that is almost self-inflicted. Y Combinator puts a bit of pressure on you saying, hey, you've got a demo day coming up. You have, you want to show growth. You want to show progress and traction. But you take that as, as an entrepreneur, you take that and you magnify it by a hundred mm. times inside and, mm. and you want to hit those goals and so much more at the same time. So, uh, yeah, I would say it was, it, there's obviously a lot of stress and, and pressure to get a lot of things done by demo day, but it was worth it. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that we all thrive on as entrepreneurs. And how about your experience as a cannabis company? I mean, they certainly have a track record. There's other cannabis companies that have gone through, but what do you think the support and advice and network meant being a cannabis company? Yeah, I think it helped ground us in the realities of other industries. It's really easy to get bogged down in cannabis in the hundreds and hundreds of pages of regulations and how everything is changing. And let's be honest, it's a very chaotic industry. Things change all the time. And partnerships are extremely volatile. You never know where anyone is standing at any given moment of time. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to have support from more traditional, well-run industries <laughs> that have all the infrastructure around them and to use that as an example of what we want to attain. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated that. Uh, to be honest, I, I would much rather have gone through an experience like that than say a cannabis incubator where we would have been surrounded by an echo chamber. Yep. So it was nice to ground ourselves in something more traditional. And I think there's been varying uh, degrees of success with cannabis incubators. They're very siloed, they're very focused. I was a mentor at the Gateway Incubator before that closed down. They had a couple cool classes go through, but it didn't stick. Canopy has limited it now just to Denver. They were in San Diego, they were here. Why do you think that is? Do we not need specific cannabis incubators? Is Y Combinator and 500 startups and all the other ones enough? So because this is such a regulated industry and so many aspects of running your business are out of your hands, it makes the incubator model very challenging because incubator models partly depend on timing. You know, you enter an incubator and you're expect to expected to graduate in three, six months, you know, whatever the timeline is. That's hard when you move into a city and you submit an application and you don't know if you're gonna get a response in a week or 10 weeks or a year. So building timelines and expecting progress based on so many factors that, have, that are out of your hands, I think almost inherently makes incubators challenging mm -hmm. for cannabis companies. Mm -hmm. That and, and deal flow is tough. Um, a lot of people getting into the industry aren't very experienced in, in cannabis or other industries. There's, uh, there's just so much activity in the space and a lot of it is noise and mm -hmm. not necessarily real efforts. So it's hard there's to parse that. There's a lot of bullshit that. going around. Yeah, there Absolutely. is. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't even imagine from your perspective too. Um, 
Okay, let's talk about the product just a little bit more. Where does the cannabis come from? What's in it? What kind of cannabis is in it? Kind of tell us that supply story. Yeah, you know, we don't advertise this too heavily, but we do prefer strain-specific crude oil uh, when when we are making our, our tinctures or our nanoemulsified uh, infusions. Uh, we like it because we believe that it feels better. Uh, to be honest, it, it, we find it cheaper and simpler and more straightforward to create a product that way. Um, but mostly it's because we want to control the, the experience and the feeling for the user. So we choose strains that are very low in paranoia, but very uplifting. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly because we want this to be something that anybody can enjoy. Obviously, existing users, heavier users, they know what they're getting when they have a light uplifting sativa. But if you're new to cannabis, you probably don't want a really heavy indica. <laughs> you probably don't want a full body high or something that's going to make you paranoid. Yeah. So we don't like taking those risks. We just want something very easy and introductory. And we feel like we can control that experience better through specific strains. Mm -hmm. So right now we use white buffalo. It's slightly energetic, very, very uplifting, nice head high, low in paranoia. So it accomplishes everything we want. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, and then talk a little bit about what else is in it from an, just an ingredients perspective. I know it's all natural, but tell me what else goes into it. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, you can look at the ingredient list. It's really simple. It's just sparkling juice. Um, so for the tangerine, you know, you'll see tangerine juice, apple juice, water, and cannabis concentrate. Yep. That really should Very be Very simple. It. Very simple. This is how a lot of products should be. Right. If, if you have products you can't pronounce, what's that's the saying? Like you can't pronounce it, you shouldn't eat it or something like that. Yep. Yeah. No, it's so straightforward. Cool. Um, let's talk about testing. It's sort of a moving target in this industry. How has that? Have you dealt with that? Who's testing it? Is any issues that arise there? Oh yeah. Well, we're dealing with it. So is every other edible mm -hmm. product in mm -hmm. California. I think the BCC has released some statistics around it, but about a third of edible products are currently failing potency testing. Uh, and you see here of other things, you know, pesticides and microbials come up every once in a while, but potency is the biggest issue right now for edibles testing. Mm -hmm. And that's because there's such a massive range of products. You know, labs are expected to know sampling methodologies and, and testing methodologies for mints and chocolates and cookies and beverages, a variety of beverages, carbonated, non-carbonated. It's really, really challenging for labs to do that and yet they're expected to be foolproof gatekeepers very, very quickly when they also have too much flour and concentrate to test as it is. And that's so much easier for them to prioritize. Mm -hmm. So testing is an extraordinary challenge. You have to find labs that know how to test your exact product. And even then, they're limited in terms of their equipment and capacity. So right now, for example, our 10 milligrams in, 12, in a 12 ounce drink is pretty darn close to the limit of detection for labs in terms of how much THC they can detect in the drink. If we go much lower than 10 milligrams, there's a very good chance the labs won't detect it. Got it. So it constrains the, the flexibility we have in creating more innovative low-dose products. Mm -hmm. And we are almost kind of pigeonholed in 10 milligrams or more. Mm -hmm. uh, for now, labs yeah. are getting better. We're working hand-in-hand -hand with labs. We have scientists developing our own internal sampling methodologies. These are all things that all edible products have to do, mm -hmm. but it's really hard to do that while you have regulations to deal with and all sorts of other things going on in this mm -hmm. industry. So yeah, it's just a work in progress. Do you consider that a little bit of a moat? The idea that like no one can go lower than 10 milligrams. There's certainly a lot of people that are going to try. 
a lot of people are going to try and labs are getting better. So for all we know next month, maybe labs will have no problem testing five milligrams or two milligrams in a 12 ounce drink. And, and we're working on making that happen. So hopefully it will. Uh, but it, it, it is just so challenging to prioritize that when there are so many other things going on. You know, cannabis companies are expected to juggle probably two or three times as many balls as any other companies and other industries. So it's, it's just yet another challenge that we have to face. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that makes beverages really exciting, I think, is the onset time that you touched on and sort of the bioavailability there. Um, talk about how, I know some of it's proprietary, but as much as you can talk about, how does it hit you faster? You know, how is that being sped up? An edible sometimes can be 90 minutes, it can be three hours. I think my notes say here it's supposed to hit you in 10 minutes, something like that, right? How did you get there? How, yeah. how is that possible? That's a great question. Even our older formulations, which were much, much more simple than this, uh, would still hit you in 20, 30 minutes. And it's a combination of a lot of things. Part of it is because you, you consume some of it sublingually. So sublingual hits you faster than having it go through your digestive tract and, like and your liver. Yeah. Exactly. Just like a tincture. Mm -hmm. So part of it is that. Part of it is it does, you know, we use an ethanol carrier. So it hits your bloodstream a little bit faster um, rather than, again, having to go through your liver. So it's a variety of a lot of things that, that make it hit you faster. It's just it's also easier to, to, to digest than yeah. food. So all of those things contribute to that. But we've moved on to a nanoemulsified product more recently. And that hits you in closer to 10 minutes, which is great. And that's partly because the molecules are smaller, your body just accepts it more easily. It. And that's something we had to develop internally again because- That process is all yours. Yeah, it is. Wow. And I mean, is that a, a path you expected to go down? That's like an IP, like bioscience route, right? Yeah, we knew we would have to do it eventually because yeah. we kept being sold uh, all sorts of nanoemulsified products or being pitched, I should say. And we were never fully convinced by any of them. And it became very clear very quickly that if we didn't learn it ourselves, we would never feel comfortable getting it from anyone else. Mm -hmm. And once we knew how to do it ourselves, we might as well do it ourselves. So it. that's the path we took. Got it. And how much do you think that plays into the value of what you've built here? I think part of our value is our extraordinary knowledge of this subject, of cannabis, of beverages, and the combination between those two things. And I don't think that's something we can outsource. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of the new product process. There's four right now, right? Tangerine, cranberry apple, pomegranate, grapefruit. Yep. Which one's your favorite? My favorite's grapefruit, but that's polarizing. People yeah. either love grapefruit or hate it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's one of those love it or hate yeah. kind of things. When you think about new products, do you all sit down at a table and sort of have like an R&D session or is it feedback from customers? What goes into that process? Uh, it's a combination of both of those things. You know, we do get feedback from customers about our product as it is. Mostly very, very positive. Uh, but, you know, we obviously have people looking for lower sugar alternatives, for example, or not carbonated uh, for a variety of reasons. So we're always looking at new products. In fact, we already have several new products formulated. It's just a matter of time and capacity. So we'll be rolling new things out next year. But in terms of the development process, we it's it's 
pretty straightforward, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We we know what's out there. We know all the beverages that can be made. We know what's popular and what's not. So we whip things up on our free time and we hand it out to friends, family, get feedback and and go from there. That's always the platform. And that's how we developed this product. We did it 100% through feedback because we wanted to make something people truly loved, hands down. We didn't want this to just be, you know, checking the box, right. you know, for the sake of formulating a beverage. It sounds so fun. You it is like fun. <laughs> invite me over when you when you do that next time. Let's talk about the brand here, California Dreaming. What does that represent for you? The labeling, how did that all come together? Yeah, we wanted something very simple and easygoing. You know, we wanted to make something that was mainstream, something that people would feel comfortable sharing with their parents, for example. Uh, that was one of the most common things we heard from our the early days when we were first developing this. We would give bottles to friends and they would share them with their parents and that blew our minds. So it was almost reverse engineering. Based on all that feedback, we reverse engineered a brand that we thought fit with what we were hearing from the people enjoying it. Got it. Okay. And the labeling and everything, did you outsource any of that? You designed it yourself. How, how does that come together? Uh, we, ha- we hired a design team. Uh, they had a lot of experience in the beer world. So, you know, they knew beverages, they knew packaging. That was great. But a lot of it came down to what we wanted out of the brand. So we gave them a whole lot of guidance on exactly what we wanted out of it. Yep. And they did a heck of a job capturing that. Yeah, got it. So you brought up big alcohol. So we'll talk about that just sure. briefly. Uh, everybody's aware of what Constellation has done with Canopy. There's rumors of Coca-Cola and Aurora doing something. You're in for a bit of a fight here, I think, right? I mean, I, I know it started very organically, but now that you're here and you are a category starter in, in a lot of ways, I know a lot of startups that are trying and there's a lot of conglomerates that are trying. Like, uh, how do you think about the future there and sort of like, have you created a monster here or are you just the first one to get there, I suppose? No, that's a great question. We are very focused on growing our brand in California. There's no real path for Constellation or Coca-Cola or any of those big guys to come into California while it's federally illegal. All we care about is growing a business, growing a brand in our home state where we know the rules and we know how to build the product, how to build the company. So that's all we're focusing on. And luckily you're in the biggest market possible. It helps. So yeah, you don't have to focus too much outside of that. Um, That was an interesting answer though. Very politically correct answer though. I (laughs) I like that. Um, Let's talk about how it's going. Yeah, any, like however you measure traction or sales or however you want to quantify that. How's how's it going? We're in about 80 dispensaries right now. Sales are going great. We're constantly growing. So it's, it's a nice place to be because you know, if you look around and I see a lot of other companies that are struggling right now based on regulations and infrastructure and all sorts of other problems. So it feels good to be a growing, thriving brand in this environment. We measure traction through number of dispensaries, through sales. One of the KPIs I really want to incorporate in us is how many new users try cannabis for the first time through our product. We need to find a way to measure that. We do it anecdotally right now and we're starting to get there, but I think that's a really cool metric that that we should use. That is really cool. I like that a lot. Okay, so you said 80 dispensaries. There's an estimated like sub 500, something like that in California. Distribution is a huge challenge today in this industry. And most people that aren't aware of the cannabis industry, they don't get that. They don't get that. Like if you're not front and center in dispensary, you don't have a lot of other options, right? Um, How are you thinking about that? What's the plan there? I know you can get it delivered directly as well. 
but there's still most of the sales coming from dispensaries, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you touched on it. It has to be either storefront dispensaries or non-storefront retailers or delivery services, but they all have to be licensed by the state of California, which is rather limiting because like you said, there are only, what, 500 of them, mm-hmm. something like that. But at the same time, that helps make it a very finite challenge. So we have our own internal sales team and they know exactly where every dispensary is, who they are, they can, they can knock on every door. So it's something that we can measure and we know exactly what we're up against, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And did you think for a time of using an outsourced distribution company? You know, how have you decided to have your own sales team? Well, the sales team started as me and Peter. Uh-huh. You know, I have a co-founder in this and, yeah. and the two of us were the ones knocking on doors early days. And I think that through that experience, we knew we had to have our own sales team. We need to have a direct line with our retailers, know exactly how they're thinking and feeling about our product, know exactly how their customers are responding to the product. That's not something I'm willing to outsource. Mm -hmm. I need to know what people think about the product and get constant feedback. So that's something we prioritized from day one. And like I said, it was because Peter and I knew how important that was. I think one of the sort of pro tips or short code cuts in the distribution game is Ease, and what they've established is pretty remarkable. Um, Where does that fit in here? How does Ease fit into the plan? Ease has accomplished a lot in this industry, and I think it's moved us all forward because it's made cannabis so much more accessible and available and and transparent. Uh, You know, the fact that you drive through San Francisco and see billboards everywhere. Insane. How great is that? It's so great. And I never thought I would see that day. To exactly. Be yeah. Exactly. So I love Ease for what it's done in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see how the regulations pan out next year. You know, I I want creativity and uh, and just the ability to access customers easily. Uh, customers over 21, obviously. But, <laughs> but, you know, the ability to introduce people to this market, I think, is such a valuable thing. And Ease is really great at doing that. So I hope that business models like that are able to thrive next year. Yeah, there's sort of a double-edged sword there. They've done incredible stuff. I know a few brands that like Ease was their first and biggest customer, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like being a lawyer with one client, right? It's a, it's a really sort of, there's no question there. It's just a tentative sort of balance. Um, I want to go back to just the branding stuff for a second. Like, I think you guys fit about as much into a lifestyle brand as possible. Um, and that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. You know, there's sort of these buzzwords around marketing. What does that mean to you? How do you market something from with a lifestyle brand? What does that mean? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say we set out to create a lifestyle brand, yep. but it has sort of happened naturally. The way we see it is if we think that this would be a really fun product to take to a, to a backyard barbecue or on a camping trip, if we think that and then our customers do it without us telling them to, then it's probably a lifestyle product and part of a lifestyle brand mm-hmm. because people are incorporating it into elements of their lives that they enjoy and involve other experiences beyond just drinking a drink. It's so organic. You're so authentic. I think that's what lifestyle brand means. It's like you created it for you and your life. And so it also should be part of our lives. I I don't know. And and so far, that's what we found. That's what's true. That's what's true so far. 
Okay, um, let's talk about fundraising a little bit. You've got a team of eight now, so the burn is increasing a little bit. You must have a good amount of inventory. I heard about your packing in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. um, how is fundraising going? Where are you in that cycle? Yeah, so we raised our seed round in the spring. We raised 2.3 million. Uh, gave us a pretty decent cushion to yeah. to grow our product. And you know, beverages are capital intensive. There's no two ways around it. So if you want to start a beverage company, you need more money than most other products will need. So we recognized that from day one because we had quite a bit of experience bottling beverages at that point and we knew what it would take. So we raised 2.3 million. I don't think we'll need more capital for the foreseeable future, but you know, we're always we're always keeping a pulse sure. on, on our finances. Sure. So and that round was it people from YC? Did that demo day turn out really well? Or how did that how did the group come together? Yeah, it was a combination of friends and family, of, of demo day investors and other investors we were introduced to. So you know, some high profile individuals, some seed funds. Uh, we didn't go the VC route. Uh, we felt it was too early. The feelers that I sent out didn't, you know, there weren't. We weren't seeing a lot of warmth in the VC community towards, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, towards the cannabis industry. So I feel like there's still a ways to go in that regard. Which is an incredible opportunity for the right people, right? I think Be so. Because if you see what the big VCs have done, Sequoia's six billion dollar very early stage fund, it's like, well, they're now playing at all spectrums. How can you compete with that, right? right. Anyway, that's just an investor talking, but. Um, Couple fun questions for you. I love to connect sort of the work you do during the day with who you are as a person and as a consumer. Now, just by the nature of your product, I know you're a pretty low dose cannabis consumer, but when you're not having California Dream, anything else that you like a lot, flowers or oils or what are you, what are you into? Yeah, well, I love topicals for when I have a muscle cool. cramp or a headache or yep. something. I gotta say, I've tried a lot of topicals that have worked magic, so I'm a huge fan of those. And I think my next favorite product after ours, of course, would be those Kiva Petra mints. They are so good. They're, really they're, good. they're discreet, you know, and they're very low dose. I, I'm, a, yeah. I'm an extremely low dose person, five milligrams is more than enough for me and heck I even break them in half so I can just have one milligram if I have a headache one so milligram. one wow. milligram I'm not kidding okay yeah. okay well apparently there's a market for micro micro <laughs> dosing out there that I didn't know about um, how do your peers outside the cannabis industry view you maybe friends family you were doing some crypto in Africa before that you had some great finance roles previous to that I was stalking your LinkedIn before <laughs> before the interview today what does everybody else think about this? Well, after you work at a Bitcoin exchange in Kenya, I, I think people <laughs> kind of know that you're a little crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't think people batted an eye when I, when I jumped into the cannabis industry. It was almost on par with how crazy that was. Got it. Love that answer. Um, favorite book and why? Favorite book is a tough one. I haven't been able to read a book since we started this I company. I love that answer. That's honest. <laughs> the only book I've, I've kind of poked my head into a bit was um, How Brands Grow. And it was such a brilliant read because obviously I've had to immerse myself in branding since we started this. It's, it's our lifeblood. So learning what branding is and how to develop a brand has been my entire life. And How Brands Grow was... A, 
and a really cool approach that was scientific and research-based. I really appreciate that. I like the ability to test things and know when things are working and they aren't. So that was a great foundation for how to approach testing branding. Awesome. Love that answer too. Well, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for joining us, Amy. I'll give you a minute to plug whatever you want. What's the website? Where can people get it? There's like 80 locations. So you got to go to the website. And you can find a store locator there. I did that earlier today, too. Yep, you nailed it. So our website is drinkdraymond.com. And we are in 80 locations statewide. So we're mostly in the Bay Area, but we're also in L.A., San Diego, Orange County. So just about anywhere you are, you should be able to find us. And are you hiring for anything? We are always hiring. We are hiring in operations. We're hiring brand ambassadors. We're hiring in marketing. So our, our team might double by the end of the month. All right. Awesome. Well, it was delicious, and I feel great. And thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.